Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining Arun and myself today is Rashmi Prabhaka, VP Strategy and PMO at Genesis Global. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Theo. So thanks for joining us. Um, you and I had a chance to just literally had a quick chat that was back in the summer. That was a while ago. Um, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about your journey from Barclays to what you're doing now at Genesis Global? Yeah, definitely. So I've been in the fintech business before it was called fintech. Uh, I guess in the early 2000s, <laughs> this was way before I would join Barclays. Um, but I was um, at Barclays. I drove uh, technology and change programs in the uh, re- regulatory space. Um, I think I want to also highlight the fact that at the moment I'm doing um, kind of strategy and PMO at Genesis. But one of the key things that I feel my journey is laced with is really the cultures, the countries, and the people I've worked with. Um, and for me, that has been kind of the biggest learning alongside all the technology and the projects. But I think for me, the learnings I've had as, as, of myself as a person and of people I've worked with has been the biggest. So that's kind of what my journey is over the past 25 years. Great. So uh, one thing I'm going to do is do a little bit of shameless shilling of my book here. Uh, Theo complains that I don't do that a lot. But uh, one thing I have to say is when I first started writing um, Restartup um, and I hadn't had, I didn't have a, a chapter for mental health at that time when we first started writing it. But when we started interviewing a lot of CEOs um, for the for the book, uh, we realized that mental health was such an important uh, piece of uh, the puzzle um, right from making sure the personal side of life is is smooth, but also from a from a work side as well, uh, it kind of affects your day to day. It could potentially affect your day to day productivity, and it is also important to be cognizant of what triggers you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, what what is your views on this, and why is mental health important um, in in this day and age? Um, and 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 again, there is also this this uh, thing called psychological safety. So can you, mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? That would be uh, interesting for the audience. Yeah, so I think I think before coming to mental health, I'll probably talk about physical health, which typically tends to be quite, quite visible. Like you have a headache, you have a knee pain, you treat yourself, you get treated. I truly think in the past three or four years, mental health has, is something people talk about far more openly. Yeah? So I, I definitely think if people say, I'm feeling a bit lonely, I'm feeling a bit depressed, I'm feeling a bit anxious about going back to the office, getting on the tube, for example, during the pandemic. So why is it important? Um, it's, it's a huge, huge part of who we are as individuals. So yeah, physically, maybe if your back is hurting, your leg is hurting, you can't walk somewhere. But um, mentally, if you just don't feel like in the right state of mind, it, it just has a huge repercussion in the way you interact with people, in, the, in your productivity, in the ideas coming into your head, uh, into the way you work, your mood, your positivity, your enthusiasm. Kind of it, it, it affects the way we function as an individual, I think, over and above the physical uh, ailments you might have. So I would definitely say the reason why it needs to be taken far more seriously than it is, um, is we don't realize that we are all scattered, we're dispersed now, we have quite a remote 
um, dispersed set of people. You know, we don't go into the office every day. And so I, I really, really think as leaders, as individuals, as friends, as organizations, it's so, so important to just look around and check in on people and make sure, because effectively, it's, if the individual isn't in the zone or isn't really feeling up to it, it's going to impact multiple things, their relationships, what they bring to work, whether they bring all of themselves, etc. Coming back to psychological safety, something I've been reading quite a lot about. It was probably about two years ago when that phrase was probably coined. Um, but of late, I feel the inability of people to speak up, fail, make mistakes, be honest, um, it does definitely, it's multifaceted. It could impact engagement, retention, loyalty, motivation, uh, and their, their innate ability to kind of come up with ideas and be fine to fail. So I think, I think psychological safety is almost like it's what we refer to as fail fast. Yeah? So if you fail fast, you can come up with another idea. Um, and the environment needs to be conducive to that. So, yeah, I'm quite fascinated by the whole subject of what we each of us really need to do to create that culture and create that environment of safety. I, I love that point. I, I want to spend a minute on it because the first time I heard it was actually from a wonderful friend of mine, Duena. She was actually on the show, oh, maybe two years ago now. Because that's a topic that she talks quite a bit about to psychological safety. And the first time I heard about it, I'm like, well, what is it? Um, can, can you tell us a little bit, you know, especially to your queen with the stress that a lot of us have been going through, whether or not we can see it or whether or not it's, um, it's visible to others, right? What are some of the things that we need to be mindful of when it comes to creating psychological safety at work, especially when you mentioned, you know, not all of us are in the office, right? Some of us are at home, some of us are in the office. And there's also a huge variety, if you will, from people from different backgrounds, right? There are younger, um, fresh out of college um, people who are in, in the office and trying to even understand what work is, what is culture and all of that. And then there are leaders who have been around, quote unquote, been around the block. Um, so they may have a different perception of what is needed. What are some of the tips, if you will, that you'll give to people? Um, how do we even create such an environment? Um, I would say that, like, I have consciously, so I'm like, again, I'm, I'm kind of exposing, I guess, something on a personal front, but I do have um, a flaw or an improvement area where I interrupt people. And when you're in a room and you, someone says something and you say something, that you can you can get the body language, you can get a sense of when to say the right thing, you can kind of put your hand up, there are visual signs you can do. When you're sat in a virtual environment like this, and there's probably 20 boxes, videos of, you know, whatever, people, you know, what is the right, what is the right etiquette? You know, it's, it's always a question mark. I keep saying I love breakout rooms because then you kind of feel like you can fire up and have the content. If you've got 20 people on a call, typically the loudest speak, and this is, it's human, it's human nature. And so I have actually, like, coming back to your question, I have consciously muted myself, even if I have a, an opinion or a point to make, consciously, because I feel the people who don't speak up as much, the ones who don't usually put up their hands, are the ones who should be given the opportunity. So I think there's many small kind of tweaks and changes we can do in our behaviors. But 
like I think giving people an opportunity to speak up, actually say, do you have something to say? Like I haven't heard you speak up. Do you have something to say? Or put a spotlight. And it may make someone uncomfortable, but eventually that's what it's all about, right? Diversity of thought and diversity of opinion. So that's kind of one way I would do it. The other thing is you've got different types of authority. I've, I've worked in different cultures where it's okay to challenge. It's not okay to challenge. It's okay to ask a question in a very polite way, or you can kind of very blatantly say, sorry, I don't agree with you. But different cultures have a different way and you can, where you can, uh, I guess, voice dissent or voice disagreement. You know, I agree to disagree, whatever it might be. And I feel, I think allowing dissent is a sign of maturity. I really, really think allowing saying, I don't agree with your opinion, or I challenge that, and I don't think that's going to work, to be able for someone to say that. But more importantly, for someone to listen to that and take it on the chin and say, okay, why would you say that? And have an open, you know, these are, these are for me, this is one of the cultures, the thing about Genesis that drew me is one of the values is enabling difficult honesty. It's a very strong statement to enable difficult honesty. It's not about honesty saying I enjoy working here. It's about Something's not right about the way we're doing things. We need to improve this area. Whatever. Those pieces of feedback, but being able to listen to it and act on it. So I would definitely say if, if anybody had to do anything, two big areas are give people, everyone a voice, everyone a voice. I don't mean just the loud ones <laughs> or the ones who always kind of speak up, but consciously don't ask people who speak up. Ask the other group of people who don't. Um, and the second thing is allow, allow dissent, allow challenging. Take it on board, take the feedback on board. I really think we would be far, far more effective as a, whatever, as organizations, as people to say, oh, interesting, like why, do you, why don't you agree? But I think it takes maturity for someone to accept dissent because typically it's like, I'm right, that's the way it's going to be, you know, let's go down this route. That's, again, it's coming back to human nature. We have to park our innate sense of I'm right to accept that behavior. So I would say just those two are actually quite, will be quite powerful changes each of us can do. Great, and uh, coming back to um, the post-COVID era that, that we live in, um, I just wanted to ask both of you uh, a simple question. Do you like to work in a, in a, in a um, office office premises where, where you have a lot of people coming together and, and congregate and, 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 and innovate, or do you prefer to work from home? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Not just, just, I mean, Theo and uh, Rashmi, I just want to kind of ask that question. Um, I would say I, over the years or whatever, over the past two and a half to three years, I've, I've kind of created a model that works for me. Um, and it's, it's not all of it at home or all of it in the office. It's quite a good mesh, like probably one and a half to two days in the office and the rest kind of home. I've realized the value of focus time, thinking time from a work perspective. I've realized the value of kind of going in. I actually clear out my diary for a few hours when I go into the office. It's not to go in and be stuck on the phone or on a call. It's just pointless. I go in to kind of catch up, ad hoc, you know, those water cooler moments, the coffee moments, the ad hoc lunch, let's have an impromptu conversation around the desk, et cetera, which we seem to have just lost uh, suddenly, like, you know, it's just gone in a flash. We can't, it's difficult to recreate what we were probably 10 years ago, even five years ago. So I, I say I have, a, I, I feel I've got a blended mix of it, but I come back to 
also the why around it. I've built my life now around my work. It was the other way around. I, I kind of, uh, sorry, I've built my work around my life the other way around because uh, I've signed up my kids to several activities. I've, I do things that kind of, whatever. I, do, I have a massage Friday morning for half to 30 minutes. And so those are my kind of indulgences. The, the chat with my daughter on the way to school, the fact that I can take her and a friend to tennis, the fact that I can take her to piano at whatever, six on a Thursday evening. So I just feel I have kind of built a schedule and I want that schedule to remain. I don't want us to go back to the rushing in the morning. It does add to the stress, you know, running into the And I, I feel the environment, the work environment, the flexibility and kind of organizations have accepted the fact that it's not work-life, like, you know, that whole concept of work-life balance, people say work-life balance. No, it's like you, you adapt several parts of your life and work happens to be one of them. Your family happens to be one of them. Yourself happens to be one of them. And so you kind of, you, you, I just feel I've created this perfect little amalgamation of a schedule. And I, I seriously think back 10 years ago, whatever, why was I? leaving home at half seven in the morning, rushing on the train on a busy central line, coming back home, rush, and the constant, you know, your brain is buzzing. And, and now you get a bit of time. I get time to walk the dog. I get time to think. It may be work. It may be personal. But I, I really feel like this is a beautiful kind of blended amalgamation of life and work and family that, that yeah, I, I, I don't have any regrets to some extent. I know it sounds awful, but it, it has taught us all to slow down a bit. It really has, the pandemic has taught us to slow down and value what matters because eventually when everything struck and we were stuck at home, the only people that ever were around you was your immediate family. So it was like almost like a day, like you know, a sudden realization moment for me that this is all that matters. <laughs> it's very zen. Listening to you, Rashmi, I can listen to that all day long. Um, I think I have a very different experience, but that's that's just me. I think it's it's just my nature. Because um, even before the pandemic, um, I'd say even going back to my first, well, not first, second job, um, talking about thirty years ago. Ouch. Um, I never really worked full time in the office. I've often traveled every single job that I've had either um, I, I travel on a constant basis to visit the clients or I would do projects offsite. So the concept of office to me had always been transient in a way. It's, it's a desk somewhere, be it in a hotel room for like three days or in a war room um, on the weekends and stuff. So it's always been really, really fluid. Um, I, I think I would love to say that I had better time management skills after the pandemic. Unfortunately, I might be one of those few that I feel like I'm actually even working more. Um, I am doing three shifts, literally. Um, the kids are back at school, which is wonderful because I stayed home for almost two years. Uh, homeschooling was, was a huge challenge on top of work. Uh, but it, it just feels like my days and my hours have blended into later and later at night or early in the morning because people are working at different hours. People are having very flexible schedules, building their life, 
their work life around their personal life, precisely what you say. But that also ends up being me having emails at 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, one o'clock in the morning, because it's a different time zone. And I need to get better. I think it's a personal problem that I have. Uh, but I, I think the culture, the culture is constantly shifting and I don't think we have seen the end of it, right? We see a pendulum swing and three years ago, everyone was like, oh, we're all going to work from home. And I think the last year we have seen more and more people pressing, uh, workers to go back to the office, multiple problems. One is, especially for younger generation, if they had never been to the office, it's hard to build a culture hundred percent digitally. And second of all, there's still something that's better being done in person. I do hope that we'll get to the point where we will respect each other's perception of flexibility, right? For some people being flexible means different hours. For some people, flexible means different work locations. And for some other people, it might work a different way. I don't think we are there yet, um, but I'm hopeful. Arun, what do you think? Because you've been going through some changes too the last few years. Yes, quite a lot actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a routine guy and uh, I kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm very poor at switching context and probably Theo knows that by now. So I, <laughs> I, I prefer to go in three days a week at least. So I'll, I'll kind of completely uh, immerse myself at work um, and then get, get back home. The days I am at home are the worst, to be honest, for me because well, what's a, a behavioral pattern I'm seeing is people just tend to fill in your um, calendar as if you don't have a lunchtime, as if you don't have to cook. You don't, and if just in case it's midterm holidays, it's even harsher because you have to cook for the kids. Uh, it's it's just like double whammy. So it's um, I think I think some of those uh, those aspects have to be managed. If not, if people. Uh, are not changing. Uh, sometimes I just block my diaries to say it's it's full. Sorry, uh, I've got to have an hour for lunch. Uh, so there are things that we we could get better at. But I kind of like this hybrid world. I'm sure uh, that's that's a common sentiment. Um, I like the fact that when I look at Rashmi, I look at her as more of a person than as a colleague at Barclays. That wasn't the case like three four years ago. Um, so I think that 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 distinction is super important. All right, just uh, switching to the next next topic that we want to discuss with you. Um, vulnerability. Why is vulnerability important for leaders? Your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I think I think vulnerability comes back to kind of the fact that you're okay to show a side of yourself. Like, like you said, you know, the human side, I think I think we have all got like I am, I have become super comfortable. I've always been super comfortable kind of being honest about how I feel or what's going on in my head. But I think it has kind of prompted far more empathy, literally, I think, across organizations, across people. You know, I could say, not feeling really great today, like not feeling motivated today. And having the ability to say that and for the listener to absorb that and then adjust. So like, I can give you an example. Like today I was on a call with someone and they said, just coming out of the flow, like feeling terrible, like head to head. And I'm like, do you want to have this? Like, are you in the stage to have the conversation? We don't need to have it. We can move it. And that brings back the human aspect because it's about caring. It's about being empathetic and saying, 
you know, yes, work goes on. Yes, it's important. If it's a really important deadline, yeah, we put everything aside and we focus. But do we really need to have the conversation now? But if that person had put on a brave front and said, all good, I'm feeling brilliant, it would be a very different conversation, a very different conversation. And so I really think like being vulnerable, kind of showing your flaws as well sometimes. You know, I say, oh, my God, why did I make that decision? I was so biased in what I did. I should have hired this person because I ooh, I thought about their hair and I thought about the way they looked. And, but being able to voice it, it's, it's kind of bringing out a bit of self-awareness. You're voicing it in front of someone, so you're exposing your flaws. But more importantly, you're then learning from that. And the next time that exact same thing happens, you're not going to repeat, like, unless you're a complete fool, you're not going to repeat that same behavior. And so I really feel like I think kind of opening up, it's you as an individual being vulnerable, the recipient then adjusting their behavior to based on what they're hearing. And then the next time you kind of come back to the same situation, you say, or you hear it, maybe you're the person who says, I'm always going to put a brace on, you're going to be, oh, oh, this person said it, and I move the meeting. So like next time I'm feeling unwell, why don't I say the same thing? So you can spread, you know, you can create the environment by being the environment. Like I've always believed, like I've, I've said it multiple times, you know, we say we wait. I say even at the organization, you wait for change to happen, you're looking around. Be the change, do the change, act the change, and then like you will, it'll be pervasive. It's like a ripple. You literally, if you act like the way you want everyone to behave, it happens. It takes time. You've got to be patient, but I really feel you can create a ripple effect. So vulnerability for me is as simple as just be yourself. Like I, I am not two people. I don't have a different accent when I'm at home. I don't behave in a different, I don't put on a mask. You know, this is me. You are the kids. You are my husband. You are my friends. You are the nanny. This is me. I, like there's no two rush me. So, so I would say that's, that's the way that the world should run. <laughs> There are a couple of things that resonate and a couple of things actually make me chuckle. Um, if I think back, right, you, you said something, you said be the change and create that environment. Um, it, it, it reminds me of something that we've been fighting for for a long time, especially in the U.S., um, family leave, because U.S. is the only developed country that does not have it legally. Um, and the whole topic of paternity leave it's non-existent. Some companies might have it, but it goes back to what you were saying, be the change. And oftentimes people don't take it because they don't want to make it seem like they are weak or, you know, they're doing all these things that doesn't make them strong, whatever, however they want to define that word. Um, which brings me to, to gender gap, equal opportunity, right? I am so tired of talking about it. Um, I feel like if I take up my articles from five, 10 years ago, I can probably just update the dates and it'll still be the same, perhaps even dial back the stats a little bit. Um, cause I remember, uh, recently I, I read an article that talked about funding, funding, uh, from a diversity perspective, and we are actually funding more and more of the big metro areas. Forget about the, you know, let's share the love. No, we're not doing that. Um, we are funding less and less people from underrepresented demographics. Forget about all that we say about ROI is better to have diversity. Nope. The action speaks louder than words. So I want to ask you, and, and we, I don't think we have the answer, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Um, can we actually make the change? Yeah, I think, I think the change is in us. Um, 
And this comes back down to kind of this difficult honesty piece. So I'll probably narrate a, a little story on like probably about three years ago. Yeah, three years ago, um, whilst I was at Finastra, we had the whole the pandemic kicked in and they said, oh, the gender pay gap report is not going to be issued because the government doesn't need it. And I said, yeah, okay, but we as an organization have to be accountable to releasing it. And I, um, I probably won't state names, but I sent several emails. I chased up. I accosted individuals <laughs> over near the coffee machine. And the report was published. And it wasn't published because I asked for it. The, the, the individual actually walked up to me one day in, at, near the court and said, I've just issued the gender pay gap report. This is a, a, a male. So it can happen if each of us Pick one thing we're hugely passionate about and don't give up, be persistent, ask for it, demand it, it can happen. What do organizations need to do like wider? I really think, I think like you, you made me laugh, you make me cry when you say things haven't changed. You know, we talk about moving the needle, walking the talk, etc. We are, we, we are a very small subset of percentage of, like I'll talk from a tech standpoint, you know, women in tech. It's a small proportion of the wider kind of organization, at a senior leadership or whatever level, promotions, retentions, et cetera. I really, really think we need everyone in the conversation. And Aruna, I've spoken about this before, right? So this cannot be a for women, by women, run by women um, initiative. It just simply cannot. But it tends to be, and this is, if you look across different organizations, all DEI initiatives are usually driven. There'll be a woman, potentially um, diverse, someone from a diverse, another background. Um, but why? So it's because they see, they see it. So I've actually, I've literally proposed this within the organization that we need to have unconscious bias workshops. You know, let's talk about it. Let's keep talking about it. Let's break down the way we think. Because we all come with lots of baggage, lots of environmental, uh, whatever. It could be patriarchal, it could be matriarchal, it could be culture at home, etc. We have to break it down. But we've got to break it down not just in the organizations, we've got to break it down in schools, at homes, the way we talk. Like, you know, like at the moment, like I, my, I'll kind of akin my daughter. You know, my, my daughter is extremely sporty. And my, my son's like, I'm going to be at home in pajamas. I just want to code and I want to be staying in. They're quite varied personalities. But if I had said, no, you're a boy, go, you know, you've got to play cricket, you've got to play rugby, you've got to be like, all match, go, go, go do it. No, I'm like, what do you enjoy? You enjoy chess and you're like, well, yeah, that's you. That's fine. And my daughter, she would, there's not a single sport she doesn't play. But typically, everyone would be there, they send her to ballet, you know, you'd be Saturday morning, there's ballet, and then there'll be other. I'm not joking, but I took her to ballet and they said, do a twirl. And she said, I don't want to do that. That was her first and last kind of ballet lesson. But this is where I feel like, you know, you, <laughs> I don't know whether it's a problem or not, but I basically created my genes have kind of had passed on where you are, you're, you have to state the obvious and you have to be comfortable in yourself. So I feel that's two big things we've got to do within organizations. I think we have to speak honestly. We have to say, I didn't like the way you spoke there. Why are we not doing this? Why can we not change this? And ask questions, coming back to the difficult honesty piece, but also measure. You know, I think people are a bit worried about measuring because they know that what they measure, the gap is going to be shown. But that, that's when you say, okay, let's, let's talk about where we are because if we don't know the baseline, 
You're never going to improve. So know your baseline, set goals, some very ambitious goals, like every two years, like every year. I just think organizations have to set ambitious goals. But data is key. So I think capturing the data is really key. So I would say set the baseline, understand where you want to get to, and be very aggressive about meeting, you know, targets, goals, you've got to keep measuring it. But pervasively across cultures and, and, and homes, we have to change the way people think, you know. Please don't buy pink stuff for girls and blue stuff for boys. Like, every action we do it will actually change the thinking of the next generation. Like, even the other day, I think I bought something for my daughter, and she's like, but you said girls, you know, girls and pink, girls and pink, never. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry. You know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But, um, like, subconsciously, I must have made some decision. But, so I feel we've got to work on adults. We've got to get everyone in the conversation, and we have to change the thinking in, our, in the children. That is then I think we will see some big changes down the line in a few years from now, hopefully, fingers crossed. I like you. Um, where have you been my whole life? Arun, you have been <laughs> hiding her from me. I, 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 I agree. I think when, when my daughter was born, she's the second one, um, my older one's the son, I was mortified when people sent me pink luggles for the love i i did not grow up with pink luggles i grew up with regular blue and gray yeah, space lego yeah, exactly. mm -hmm. uh, our whole house all of a sudden was filled with stuff that makes a lot of sounds and all pink and all fluffy i didn't know what to do with it and and the funny thing was um and i i remember talking about this in in a much earlier episode when i took the kids when they were little to the museum the only thing that was eye level to a toddler girl at that time was a pink Hello Kitty astronaut doll. Everything else that was eye level that was reachable to toddlers were a boy astronaut toy, storybooks with boy astronauts, everything. It, it, it almost feels like subconsciously our society is gearing the parents and everyone towards this is how a girl's supposed to like and behave and this is how a boy's supposed to like and behave and you're mm -hmm. absolutely right we need to change that and that takes time i would add to it too from an adult perspective is accountability i am tired of people saying we need to change without taking the action to actually change and being held accountable it's just like um you know everything that we're trying to do with sustainability pledging is nice but action, action, yep. action and consequences of not acting is what can push us, hopefully, before my daughter has grandchildren, that the world would change. Um, but thank you, um, Arun, and, and thank you for, for, for bringing um, such an important voice to the show. Thank you. So before we close, um, let's ask you this. If there is one action that we should impress upon the leaders of the organizations and each one of us to commit to, to create that environment that we were talking about, that foster psychological safety, that foster honesty, that foster openness, the sense of vulnerability. What would that one thing be? Um, honesty. I think, I think leaders being honest about where we are, um, creating environments, like I think creating environments where people can ask questions without fear of 
ridicule, rebuke, the careers being impacted, whatever, the, the performance rating not being fabulous because I think if one thing they could do is to have maturity to listen, um, take that feedback on board because feedback is feedback. I always say, you know, if someone has a thought, it may not be true, but someone had that thought. It's about perception and image, etc. So I would say one thing is talk about it openly, be yourself, allow honesty, listen to it. But if we want to make a real, real change, I don't think it's just up to leaders. And I've always said that we are all leaders, like each and every individual. Like I talked about be the change. Like we can wait for oh, what are the company goals and what are the goals we're trying to make. What can you, like if you wake up in the morning and there's one thing you can do that's going to make a change, what would that be? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of put such a big accountability on the senior leaders in the organization to drive certain behaviors. It's, it's up to each of us. Like, like you know, people drive culture. You drive the, like, change. Like, even at previous organizations when we've had employee resource groups, those are kind of the most powerful groups in the organization. You can shape policy. You can shape decisions. So I would just say, like, wake up in the morning and pick one thing. Each, not just leaders, pick one thing that you're going to do that's actually going to shift the needle on some level that you're passionate about. And change will happen. But it, it's got to be each and every one of us. Thank you, Rashmi. That is a perfect end to our conversation. I wish we can keep going, but thank you so much for joining us today. And for the rest of our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week.